Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Library Overload. This is Susie. And this is Tavia. Don't forget to check out our blog. I'll post all of the books we talk about in every episode. You can find us at libraryoverload.home.blog. And then you can also find us on Instagram. We're just Library Overload there. Okay, guys, today we have R.J. Jacobs with us. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, guys, good morning. We are super excited. I know that's our word. We're excited to talk with you. (laughs) We had been anticipating your book coming out for a while. We're actually just a little bit late on it, but still excited to get it read nonetheless. Yes. You here to chat. Well, uh, I'm so glad to see you guys back uh doing the podcast last time around i guess it was about a year ago i realized this morning this was my last call on skype was to (laughs) y'all that's funny i love it that's funny so we're gonna be talking about somewhere in the dark your second book let's talk about kind of how a second book differs from your first kind of how did that how was that process? It's, I think all the expectations are different. You know, as I was mm-hmm. first, uh, when I was writing the first book, it was so open-ended. Um, there was uh, no real deadline because I didn't have a contract on anything. And so, you know, I was working with freelance editors and I was um, kind of revising a bunch of different drafts. And it, it was just much more free form. And this time there was a deadline. And also, I had a sense of like what readers were going to be expecting from Mm -hmm. a book based on some of the feedback from the first book. And so I was both more and less aware of kind of what the process was going to be like as I was going along. I was thinking Uh, you got it out really fast compared to that one. Yeah, it's funny. It I guess it takes about a year to do. Mm -hmm. And um, the pace is uh, it's it's strange. It's strange to kind of measure your pace against like the pace of another writer. Some writers really crank out words. They do. And, um, my friend Rhea Fry, when I listen to how she writes, I don't know if you all know her, but she's fantastic. We listened to the interview. Uh, we the saw day. the Parnassus interview. I was going to bring that right. up. That was great. She'll write 10,000 words in a day. Wow. And there's just no, I don't A, have the time to do that. And B, I don't think I have the focus to do that. I don't, uh, my process is just a lot slower. And I'll write a little bit and kind of go back and revise it. And uh, it's just much probably less focused uh, than somebody Mm -hmm. like her. Well, you still have like a full-time not writing job too, though, right? <laughs> That's true. It's, it's uh, work is kind of inconvenient when it comes to writing. Sure. It's so rude. It's so rude how it just <laughs> right. I think takes it's, up your it's whole day. for it to get in the way of reading. So I can't imagine it getting in the way of writing. Well, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I we watched that Parnassus uh, interview. Fantastic interview, by the way. And then I was also, I kind of uh, stalked you a little bit to kind of see what all interviews you had done and all of that. And I saw there was one that you did, who I met today, uh, you did an interview oh, yeah. with them. It oh, was she's fantastic. fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah. I have not, I've not uh, read their, I've not seen their website before. So I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. big fan, but you said something. So you're, this is your second book in a, in the 
psychological thriller kind of genre. Mm -hmm. And you said something so kind of poetic. And it was, as a writer, I hope to create tension. As a psychologist, I'm puzzled by why people want to feel it. And that cracked me up. Because as a person with anxiety, it makes me laugh because I seriously read true crime and all this, like, it's so stressful. And in real life, obviously, I would never want something horrific to happen to me. Right. But, oh, my God, I want to read it. <laughs> Can I tell you that um, that people who enjoy, like, mysteries and enjoy psychological suspense and reading about murders and true crime, in my mm -hmm. experience, and I'm not just saying this to butter you up, but in my experience, <laughs> they seem like the kindest people. I am very kind. And I'm kind that. of puzzled by that duality, especially because, you know, stress seems like something you wouldn't want to feel. But never. Um, I, I've been interested in like kind of how that works or like why somebody would be drawn to it. And I think that there's almost like an anxiety management strategy to it where Maybe. a person has some control over the pace of how much stress they're feeling or they could always kind of walk away. That's so and true. There's, mm -hmm. there's like one bit of removal from the experience because it's happening to somebody else, but you have the ability to access the narrative as much or as little as you want. I love that. Um, I don't know if you're a Friends fan, but Joey Tribbiani always put The Shining in the freezer when it started <laughs> to really get bad. So, yeah. That, I that think makes... for me, I'm like, well, you know what? My life is going really poorly but at least it's not this bad <laughs> compared to the hundred percent you could be on the way. run from the cops yeah <laughs> you could it could be that yeah that's crazy so I, I feel like you know it could be worse i, I i'm comparatively i'm doing all right <laughs> <laughs> so i went into this book blind i love to do that i love to just not read a synopsis beforehand and just get into it and kind of see what happens and that was a really fun reading experience because i genuinely thought this book was going to go one way completely blindsided i do not do that i need to know what i'm getting into <laughs> See, we differ a whole lot like i love anxiety in books she does not i no. love i love to go into things blind she needs to know as much as possible so yeah we're we're very well rounded the two of us <laughs> but, but i really uh, couldn't so put this book down once i got you know into it it was just it it went so quickly mm -hmm. and it was just so it flowed so well that it was like, oh, my God, I have to know. I have to know what's going on now. Oh, that's yeah. great feedback. I'm really glad that was the experience of it. Yeah. Um, so really briefly, will you just kind of describe or give us a, a synopsis of the book and kind of, I don't know, where did you, where did this come from? I know Nashville plays a big part mm -hmm. in, in both books now. How do you consider Nashville another character? Because this one, I feel like, had way more van and then you were gone yeah this has more nashville in it i think especially yeah. the country music element it really couldn't have been set anywhere else mm -hmm. the i guess as i was uh as i was kind of getting started writing this book i had started writing a few different stories after the previous book was done i had started writing a story about a kidnapping and i'd started writing a story about a missing psychological report and I kind of liked how they were going, but it felt a little bit like forcing it. And then, you know, just like most writers, I think you kind of have this thing like, what if, 
you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I lived near the park where uh, the main action was set. Cool. And, you know, I was running on one of the trails one morning and I did guess you I just, just started... see, did you see the body where it would be? Is that, is that what you saw <laughs> in your head? You know, there's actually a house that is across the street that I've always kind of wondered who lives in that house. And, you know, just in the same way that if you're at the airport or something, you kind of make up the little stories yeah. about people. You think, how do these people know each other? And it's That's fun to awesome. make up kind of a story. I guess I just started to kind of create something like that. I love that. I love it. And I, I googled love... the park. So I like was looking on, you know, um, on on the Google Maps and seeing like all the different areas and where the Bell Mead kind of backed up to it. And mm-hmm. so that was kind I, of interesting for me. That oh, it was, I I didn't even like think to do that. You're not as smart as me. It's well, when, when you guys take a trip up to Nashville, we'll, we'll take uh, three of us. will yes. take a tour and we'll go. See oh, yes, that sounds awesome. Yes, and then you can take us to Parnassus. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. We've um, we've gone. Last time we were both in Nashville, we went and spent probably two hours there. Like it's it, easy to do. Yeah, it's such a great store. So now I want to talk a little bit about Jesse. And well, what, so let's this, go back. We uh, we didn't get the synopsis. Oh, sorry. Can we get uh, sorry the real quick synopsis? Oh sure. Yeah, right. That's uh, my fault. So no, you're so um, the sort of the idea of the story is that. Uh, a famous country music singer goes into the woods to meet her lover and does not return. And the main suspect is her number one fan, who's kind of an unusual person because of her circumstances, but is also the only person who can solve the case. And so she and the main detective become kind of an unlikely pairing in figuring it all out. It's brilliant. This, see, this synopsis, like when you start into the book, that, like, that little bit of what's going to happen in the book, I had no idea. Like, it, when, when that action finally happened, it, it took me completely by surprise. It was mm. so, so great. The opening of the book is, is, it takes you on a path that you like, okay, I see where this is going to go. No. It was so good. So I had with it. tears in my eyes for Jesse on like the tenth page. I'm not like I was sucked in immediately with her narrative and her emotions, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this poor kid!" And so <laughs> immediately you had me with her. Oh, that's that's really good to hear. You know, talking about child abuse is really difficult. Um, because it's such a trigger for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so um, evocative. Mm-hmm. And yet, like as a storyteller, I really like the idea of a character who's kind of sympathetic and dangerous at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's paradoxical. You know, she's yeah. way more perceptive than a lot of people realize because she just doesn't talk very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also really vulnerable. Yeah. And so... I wanted the reader to have awareness about um, some of the things that she was misperceiving, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. And yeah. then uh, kind of as the story goes, she gets a more and more clear sense about the world around her and about mm-hmm. how she's been idealizing these people for a while. Yeah. My okay. main thing that stuck out to me about her was like in most novels like this, communication is the thing that's going to clear up a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. If you would, if she would have just communicated effectively at the beginning, things wouldn't have gone so, you know, badly. However, 
her backstory prohibits her from that kind of communication. It builds already a place where she trusts no one and cannot communicate. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was just brilliant. Like it, it creates its own problem right there that cannot be solved, which is just Mm -hmm. super brilliant. That kind of segues into, so about 60 to 70% of, through the book, you still don't know exactly what's happened. And mm-hmm. Jesse legitimately mm-hmm. starts to question herself mm-hmm. and just did, am I unaware of something that I did not do? And it's kind of like, it does that to the reader as well. Cause I kept texting Tavia as like, oh my gosh, so it was sure hysterical. It. So sure. This is what happened. And then two pages later, nope, I was wrong. Yeah. She was <laughs> live, like live texting me. I know who it is. Oh, no, 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 I had no clue. I'm certain, I'm certain it's this person, and it makes you question yourself. (laughs) And that was awesome. Yeah, it was super fun. It was a fun, very fun reading experience. Oh, that's, that's so good to hear. Yeah, I wanted, um, I wanted the, the reader, you know, the part about her struggling to find the right word, I think that's really common, like when people, um, have lived in their own world for a while. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, you know, I've, I've been fortunate not to have gone through abuse like that, but in some ways I can kind of relate to that in that like I've stuttered at different times in my life or I've, I've it struggled to find like the right way of saying things, especially when I'm speaking out loud. And like some of that's like a kind of a social anxiety thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so somebody like from her character's perspective, I figured it would fit really well to have her like kind of struggle to convey certain ideas that would be more intuitive to her, but would be hard to articulate. Yeah. And the way that you were able to write that where it didn't feel like disjointed, mm-hmm. it felt like you were experiencing that with her. I thought that was really, it was really special the way that you oh, were able cool. to do that. Yeah. Thanks. It's, that's really cool. It was almost like um, someone that uh, like English isn't your first language. And mm. so you're trying to remember the word in your own language and then, mm-hmm. and then remember it. That's exactly what it felt like to me. That's um, a great insight. Um, mm-hmm. In the, when I was first going with it, um, one of the people in my readers group or my, my writers group was reading it with me and helping me fit, kind of figure out how to convey some of the ideas and one of the stories that came up was the um, curious incident of the dog in the nighttime where the mm-hmm. main character is autistic. And it, in some of the first drafts, I had to be careful that it didn't seem too much like that. Um, but I did, I definitely did like that idea of um, the main character kind of struggling to convey or having kind of a different view of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, unreliability is a convention in the mystery yeah. psych suspense genre mm-hmm. and it's kind of an imaginary world is the ultimate unreliability oh Absolutely. yeah yeah um yeah i loved it when when we first see her her thought process on like what is this word i'm trying to say and she kind of like gives the definition i was i was blown away that was really really cool but going back to your writing group, I am a little mad at you because you mentioned that you had a beta reader, reader specifically someone that just obliterated your first book. And oh, yeah. you had them beta read your second? You I thought that two. was pretty, like, courageous. <laughs> you have two very big readers here 
very willing to obliterate a book for you. Well, I, you know what, guys? I'm working on another book right now. I will take you up on that. I don't know. We have loved, though. We have loved both books, so I don't know how much constructive criticism we would be able to offer. You know, when it comes to um, critical, uh, like, reader reviews, I think most writers struggle with what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it can be really hurtful and it's really discouraging at times. And like you try to kind of sort it out or figure out how to talk to yourself about it. But with this one particular, some of it is is actually good criticism and probably Mm -hmm. you need to pay attention to it. And some of it is just kind of mean spirit or whatever. I mean, it makes you in a position of such vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100 percent. You're putting that out there. I can imagine. 100 percent. This one particular person. I think had, <laughs> it was pretty tough, but I think she had really good things to say that I kind of needed to hear. Well, and good. I just thought, let's let's hear this on the front end this time. So I, <sighs> I reached out to her and uh, she was actually very gracious in person. Like she was very gracious. Did no? she apologize for being so mean to you the first go? No, around? heavens no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was very courageous of you to do that. I was like, man, I would never have thought to do uh-uh. something like that. That's crazy. Uh yeah, no, I didn't ask for an apology. She didn't give one. And uh, <laughs> that's, a li- that's hilarious. That's insane. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, "Are you serious?" That was that was insane. Yeah, I. Uh, but no, we uh, we would humbly accept uh, a you know an ex- advanced reader copy if you. So that is the deal. That so, is the deal. Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, well, let me ask you, did you base uh, Shelly and Owen on any celebrity couple in particular, any singers that that we may know, or is that just kind question. of a figment that you pulled out? Yeah, they're sort of composites. You know, sometimes, you know, you read sort of the Nashville news and you have a sense of, like, who's out there or how they mm-hmm. would operate. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely liked the idea of Shelly being a person at a certain time in her life kind of mm-hmm. struggling to hold on to that fame that she had kind of come to. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially from her circumstances. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a common story among uh, country musicians is that like a lot of times they've sort of, you know, they're famous for being accessible. That's one thing about country mm-hmm. music is that mm-hmm. like when the CMAs happen, you know, the stars will come down and they'll just talk right to the, the fans. And a lot of other genres just aren't like that. No. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one thing that people really like about country music is that they all always say it's relatable. Yeah. And I think the, the performers are relatable, too. And I think it was interesting for her to have met Owen when he was already famous. So mm-hmm. she feels disadvantaged from him immediately. So, like, she feels like he didn't understand her. Mm-hmm. Right. It was kind of cool. But, it, but you didn't even almost portray that to the reader from her. You portrayed it from jesse's like delusion that's just kind of brilliant the way that you did that you know that we're understanding her as jesse's understanding her which is really cool you know i think one theme of the novel is do i fit in would Mm -hmm. i fit in uh and you know even that's a a point of relatability between jesse and shelly is that i think jesse sees that as something that they would connect on that they're both kind of outsiders yeah and then I thought having Finch be adopted, again, was another point that just kind of made it more relatable to Jesse and mm. made her understanding of what was happening and made her realize mm-hmm. 
why things happened to the way they did. And I thought that was brilliant too. Instead of it just being, you know, their kid, this is a kid they adopted and brought into their life. And then things kind of went crazy. That you comparison know, was heartbreaking. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I'll tell you, I think that a lot, it's a, it's a somewhat common fantasy mm-hmm. that I hear a lot of people have that their family is really a different group of people. And that, really like as they sort of struggle with their own family relationships that they kind of have fantasy worlds sometimes where their their family is like um a group of playwrights from new york or like traveling musicians or somebody that they feel like their heart relates to much more than their actual family mm-hmm. and so i, I kind of wanted to play with that a little bit so this is your second book with a female character. And I know we talked about this last time and how mm. well you wrote from a female perspective. And it's almost, it's it feels like as a reader, it feels like you're not kind of driving home the fact that I write women well. It's just that you write people well. And I heard... I I heard in in a previous interview, you kind of talking about how you don't go into it planning for it to be a female. I know you tried different perspectives in this one. Mm -hmm. Um, Did Jesse just speak louder to you? I think, um, yeah, Jesse started out as a guy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had to be a little bit careful because um, in telling the story, um, Originally, Jesse was like a big bruising guy, and that changes everything. It changes really does. And a part of the appeal of Jesse's character is that um, she could blend in Mm -hmm. and could be going places and not be noticed or not perceived as a threat, and that's just impossible when you're looking at some kind of hulking figure. Right, and so. Um, as I started to think about the story and all the things that I wanted to accomplish with it, um, it, it became a little bit more likely or easier to imagine when I thought about Jesse as somebody who could kind of fade into the background or become a bit mm-hmm. dim, um, who could be serving at a party and maybe wouldn't be noticed. Uh, so some of it was practical. And then I also just kind of liked the vulnerability of somebody in that stage of life. Mm-hmm. For that sure. concept of going dim, I thought that was kind of a brilliant way of phrasing that as well. Um, yes. Is that something that you see, like, from your professional standpoint that people do? Is that like a a, a normal a coping? Thing? Yeah. You know, I think um, I used to work a lot with shyness and social anxiety. That used to be kind of my, my main thing, my, my wheelhouse. And when some people um it's that's a really kind of transient problem some people have a difficult time with public speaking uh, but they're great networking at a party for some people it's the opposite you know they're they're great at a party but would have a hard time or did i just say did i just transpose that (laughs) some people would have a hard time um being at a party or just networking or informal stuff Mm -hmm. uh, but would be okay like on a stage Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, so I, I picture kind of a wallflower, somebody who just sort of tends to kind of stay at the the periphery of something and not want to draw attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how I pictured him. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay, so you've got two books kind of set in your backyard. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing that your third book is going to be elsewhere, and it sounds awesome. So where um, where are you taking us on your next 
book. So there's an, I'll put an asterisk by that. And that's that, you know, <laughs> um, when I was first getting a little bit of consultation about this book, an editor told me you're going to have a hard time setting this in the keys because people maybe aren't going to be interested in it. But I have to say that I think they uh, were wrong. I think <laughs> they were wrong as well. Anytime like um, there's some mention of the fact that it's about halfway down the Florida Keys, um, it seems like uh, from what I'm hearing from people, like there's some intrigue about it. Um, yeah, I, I am very interested in it. So you can tell them to shh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I forget which hurricane it was. It was about three years ago. And it put the power out in the keys for about a week. Mm-hmm. And after that time, I started to kind of imagine what it would be. Um, I was on a fishing trip with a couple of guys down in this part of the Keys. And it's just like, uh, it's unlike any other part of the country. If you've never been down there, it's very, very unique. And like, um, my my brother-in-law is an attorney in Miami. And he has a, a client who lives in the Keys. And he had to say things like, this, this is a guy who would have like a $50 glass of scotch. And my brother-in-law would say, like, you know, you can't wear those Crocs to court, right? (laughs) And it's like, it's just really different. I mean, in -hmm. some ways, like, y'all know Carl Hyacin? Yeah. Yeah, so he he used to write for the Miami, I'm sure he probably still does to some degree, write for the Miami Herald. And he said it, said a couple of books in South Florida. And the, the keys are so unique, I think it kind of lends itself to his style of humor so I'm trying to like kind of capture the weirdness of it um, in like kind of a cool way that isn't maybe as like humor driven as some of Carl's writing, Mm -hmm. um, but still kind of embodies the uniqueness of it. I I love the fact that, and I think I read this on Goodreads, that your books explore people's lives on the brink of disaster. And that's just kind of, I mean, already a concept going into it, knowing that things are just tenuous to begin with is mm-hmm. really cool. So I, the, the hurricane and the power being out, that's, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it like already knowing that your book is going to stress me out, just add a hurricane <laughs> and the power going out. It's just like, dear God. <laughs> now, since uh, the lockdown, have you had any little ideas popping in your head about what life would be like during quarantine for a character? Um, a bit. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. just a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, some of it sort of lends itself to like an Agatha Christie style story yes, where people maybe are are kind of quarantined together and yeah. then something happens. And you have to um, find who the murderer and is. And then there were none. The exactly. Yes. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, I actually did too. Confinement is kind of a convention of mm-hmm. the mystery genre and actually is a confinement. Uh, uh, characterization of like the horror genre yeah and i guess i wondered about what it would be like but i haven't i haven't gone too far with it yeah just trying to survive quarantine before you think about diving in (laughs) yeah um you know when i've talked to other writers uh, most people have said that the quarantine and the the covid pandemic has been pretty stressful and even you would think that um a writer could take advantage of it and could say, okay, well, uh, I'm going to just try to make the most of this time. Mm-hmm. But 
all the uncertainty really chews up a lot of bandwidth that sometimes you would use to be creative. And so I think uh, other writers that I've talked to have found it a little harder to kind of keep it going. Oh, I can that, definitely understand because I find it hard to read at times. Yeah. 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 When we're Readers, supposed to be reading something specific and it's like, I, I don't have the mental focus to sit here and do this right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Readers everywhere struggling um, with reading. I was excited to have all this time to read and I've read less this year than I've ever read in a year. And it's just, I, like you said, I don't have the bandwidth to focus on something that's supposed to make me happy when every, everything is right. going to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so segueing from that. So as a psychologist, do you have any tips for people to kind of survive this year, kind of get through this, you know, with maybe a little less gray hair, um, and, and all their mental faculties all, all intact. How are you, how are you kind of helping out patients and things like that to get through this? Well, in some ways it kind of relates to the themes of the story in that it's like when the world that you're living in is intolerable, part of the adaptive skill is to just develop a different world. And so mm-hmm. it seems like people who are doing the best are able to kind of get out in nature or are able to kind of immerse themselves in like a different way of being. Uh, Nature is the best one because that just has nothing to do with the headlines and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people forget that that's a world too. It's, it's right outside. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the birds don't know that the pandemic is going on or the fish (laughs) don't know. It's really very comforting actually to see that life is going on in this kind of parallel way. Yeah, I think it would be helpful to get out, especially to where there's no phone signal, there's no internet. And so you can't, there's no option to be distracted or anything. And you have to place yourself in that moment. That's a really good tip. Um, It seems like um, people who are doing really well, I I like to uh, pay attention to when people do something well, like what's making it so that they can do that well. Mm -hmm. And then you know, when, when you witness somebody figuring it out, uh, that gives me clues about like what their strategy is. Mm-hmm. So it seems like when I see people doing really well, they're either focused on the very short term today, what they're going to do this week, and they're going to plan that out and knock that out and just kind of stay focused on, on the very, very kind of immediate mm-hmm. or are thinking about in the extreme long term where they pictured the entire arc of their life and kind of realized, hey, this is only one small slice of that. Interesting. And use that as like perspective. The medium yeah. term, you know, what's going to happen a month from now, that's almost impossible to anticipate. Right. So It really is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the very short term and very long term seem like kind of the places of most comfort right now. Yeah. yeah. I know that um, when quarantine started, I started baking. I make bread now. Yeah. Little Susie homemaker. Just, yeah. <laughs> that it is so funny. Something. It's so like, it, it fits. I like know. Susie homemaker's a I thing. Know. And you're, I know. that's so funny. Yeah. I know uh, when I was 18 and living in my very first, just crap apartment, I used to host little dinner parties. And so I've always been Susie homemaker. Um, but no, like I've been baking bread and like giving it to people. Like I've, uh, Tavia and I, when it first started, we started doing drive-by dessert drop-offs. And, like, I made, like, a strawberry tart and brought it over. It's like, I just felt like making tarts. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's very um, creative. 
Yeah. And I, um, I was just telling my husband last night, I am ecstatic to see all the art that comes out of, out of quarantine. Yeah. Like musicians are putting out albums. Authors, if they are able to, they're writing more than normal um, artists, things like that. I am very excited to kind of see the creative, the creativity that comes out of this year because I it think, has the potential to be awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the uh, the movie with Leslie Odom Jr. Love in the Time of Corona, how they filmed it in quarantine, and like sure. I watched some behind the scenes, and they used like robotic cameras. So there weren't cameramen in there and the director was like outside the house and they, they filmed with people who are already quarantining together and like the creativity of working around that circumstance was just kind of brilliant. That I, I haven't seen that, but I can appreciate what that would be like. Yeah. That's um, cool. I didn't know they did, did it like that. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but I really want to, I haven't had a lot of free time, so. but yeah, it, it looks really cool. I, I like watching the behind the scenes stuff too. And since we're Hamilton obsessed, I'm, I'm Leslie Odom Jr. obsessed too. <laughs> I have just now begun to watch Hamilton. My daughter and I. My daughter's a huge <sighs> Hamilton fan. Uh, and, uh, we're your daughter's up. a good kid, then. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Yeah, she is. Yes, it is really good. <laughs> yeah, it has completely overtaken my life. My husband, every time he comes home, he's like, "Are you watching again?" <laughs> All the time. I can All see how time. you win. It's so good. All right. So before we let you go, we always like to get a couple of books from our guests, maybe something you've read recently that you just absolutely love. You've got to pass it on. What do you got for us? Um, So speaking of the pandemic, this was came out prior to the pandemic. I guess it came out about a year ago and it's called Severance by Ling Ma. I don't know if you have seen that one. The cover looks like a pink slip. How funny. Yeah, it's, um, I guess it's technically a post-apocalyptic book, but it's... Brave, you reading it now. I, I'm telling you, I, I would stand by this recommendation any day. Uh, awesome. It's beautifully written, and the pace of it um, is kind of... Um, most people wouldn't want to read a book about, like, the apocalypse or something right now, and yet... Sure. Um, there's this kind of a strange comfort to the base of it. You take my word on it. Um, I guess uh, about six months ago, I read Normal People by Sally. Mm. Mm-hmm. Was it good? That was excellent. It's been on my list. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's been everywhere. Yeah. I haven't watched the show, mostly because I just enjoyed the book so much that mm-hmm. I kind of don't want to eclipse any of my own thoughts about it with uh, yeah. Yeah, the TV show. But. Although I've heard the show is also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Her writing and her um, sensitivity to the characterizations and the power dynamics between the couple, it, it kind of it's very inspiring. I really like the way she did it. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, have you heard of the book, The Tavia is going to die, uh, The Logger Queen of Minnesota by uh-uh. J. Ryan Stradle? Oh, my God. It was so good. And I think it would be right up your alley. It focuses more on characters themselves and their just kind of quiet growth and their how they deal in day-to-day lives and stuff like that. And I feel like that would be something that you would really enjoy as well. I made Tavia read it. She hated it. I loved it. I didn't it. hate it. I thought it was fine. But I didn't understand <laughs> why the narrative needed to be told. You know. 
I'll but that's just not my cup of tea, and it is hers. It, the slice of life type books are not typically my thing, and mm. and that's you know that's okay. Books are not for everyone. I was going to say, isn't that one of the greatest things about it is the subjectivity of it, where right. you know that's that's kind of how art works. Is that mm-hmm. some people really oh, respond yeah. to it, other people it's not for them, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And our best, I think, our best buddy read discussions come from when we have differing opinions on on the work instead of we're both, you know, on the same level on it. So. Right. Yeah. There's only so many things, so many different ways you can say like, "Oh my God, I love this book." Um, <laughs> but if if one person has way more, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say is, but like if one person really delves into a book more than the other, that really formulates a, a great conversation. Mm-hmm. sometimes I'll read a book and I'll think, oh, this is pretty good. And then a year later, I'm still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's kind of the mark of something that has really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've read books that I wasn't the hugest fan of, or they weren't my, you know, my favorite genre or anything like that. But if I'm still thinking about them days, weeks later, like that was a pretty awesome right. book. Mm-hmm. You yeah. want that longevity. Right. One last thing I want to talk about real quick is the cover. Did you have any input on that? Because I thought it was just so cool. I looked at it for a long time before I realized what it was. And it was just yeah. so cool. I, thank you for saying that. So I got lucky on the cover. Um, yeah. And it's kind of a long story, so I'll spare you the entire Ooh. detail. But you know how, I don't know if you've noticed this, but on the advanced reader copies, the font is yellow. Yes, I didn't um, see that. So there was actually another. We didn't get one out. of those, but yeah. we did not. Uh, but we <laughs> did. We did see pictures from other that people. That will be solved next time. <laughs> uh, the uh, there was another book that came out about a year and a half ago with a similar title and a very similar looking cover, oh, no. and kind of at the maybe not the eleventh hour, but nearing that. Um, that author discovered it and di- was displeased. Uh, How so, stressful. You know, I, I don't have any, I didn't design the cover. I, I had ne- actually never heard of this person before. Um, so I reached out to her and she was actually pretty gracious once I sort of connected with her. Um, but my agent was a little bit concerned that people might think they had already read the book. Oh. So. I know uh, exactly what book you're talking about too. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's not like the story is similar. Uh, I kind of looked it up and read the synopsis. It has nothing to do with the story that I wrote. Um, but you know, if you were just glancing at it, you might think, oh, I've already picked that up. Sure. Um, well, at first I thought it was like cracks coming in from the side. And then I realized you're like on the ground, looking up at the trees. Like it took me a minute to get that, (laughs) which made me, but maybe the first time I saw it, I thought it was neurons. I was thinking that as well. It could be. Could be. Y'all, it's trees. It's trees. <laughs> but it could be like neuropathways. He's a psychologist. Yeah. It could be. Yeah, yeah. And I thought maybe cracks, I, but it took me a long okay. time to realize it would be laying on the ground looking, looking up. up. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I'm just a cool. country bumpkin, but I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, trees. <laughs> trees. <laughs> maybe you just have now? no imagination or you, <laughs> you've read too many things with dead people. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Um, but thank you so much for, for talking to us again. Um, we, uh, we look forward to that uh, ARC in the next few months from you. So 
we'll be we'll be connecting again soon. Heck I'm yeah. sure. Heck <laughs> and I, I would like to say I loved this, and I I think that it was even better than the first one. Honestly, I think oh, I appreciate you, you, you upped that. your game for sure. I appreciate that. Absolutely, Keep getting better. Ooh, I just thought of another question. Do you ever see yourself kind of veering into full time author? Do you ever see yourself kind of stepping back from your practice and just just writing? Uh, maybe a bit more. I could see the the balance of it changing. Right mm -hmm. now, I'm still mostly in my office, um, and you know, having to kind of carve out time to write. Right. But you know, both being a psychologist and um, being a writer, they're things that I could do for a long time. So. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know where the future goes or, uh, you know, how much, you know, how much time I'll need to spend on another. But um, I'll probably keep a foot in both worlds. I like it. Well, I like I love that you use your knowledge, everything that you've got in your books. I love that you kind of build a character that is completely different from myself. And I can kind of see their stress, their anxiety, their whatever it is that they're dealing with. I can I feel it. So yeah, keep doing. And they're what also you're doing. so relatable. Like it, they're they're so different, but relatable in in a way that you write them, and that's mm -hmm. really cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Yes, hey. we really appreciate it. it Susie, Tavia, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. Of course. Thank and you. We will Stay chat safe with you and well. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Right. So long. Bye. Bye. Well, guys, we hope you really enjoyed our chat with RJ. We loved having him on. It was he's he's so so nice. He's like so just nice. a lovely human being. Mm -hmm. Big fan of him. Um, Absolutely. I would like him even if he wasn't an author that agreed to be on our podcast. But now it's just like him that much more. I know. And his books, you guys really do need to check them both out. The first one is, and then you were gone. And this new one, it came out August eleventh, somewhere in the dark. Fast paced, brilliant thriller. Like, just Ugh. captivating from the get-go. It sucked yeah. me in at a time that I really needed it. Mm -hmm. Sucked me in, and everything around me disappeared. And it was just, ah, so, so good. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I, um, I, I can't believe that all of the, like, it's just, I don't know, it's me kind of fangirling over the fact that we just spoke to the person that made this, that created this world that we just yeah. read, like, oh my god, like, I, it takes everything within me to just be cool, man, yeah. be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have the option to be cool, I'm like, you know, uh, I think Lin-Manuel said it, I have never had any chill, <laughs> that is, that is me, zero chill. <laughs> I think we handled ourselves very well, though. I'm proud I of us. I, I do, yeah, yeah. Um, I did come with copious amounts of notes, though, just in case I forgot words. I could at least read them. Yes. That's all I wrote down. <laughs> I have a whole page. I wrote down the characters' names and the word communication. <laughs> okay, I did, a, I did a little more than that. <laughs> um. But guys, I will link to all of the interviews that we talked about today in the in the blog. It's going to be so cool. The Parnassus interview is fantastic. He's on. They actually have a video of it on his Facebook page. I'll link to that. Um, but you actually see uh, RJ and Raya communicating, and it's it's a fantastic interview. 
but yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for his next book. I can't wait to read it, get him to be on the podcast again. He's just, he's awesome. Yeah. We're very lucky that we have gotten to interact with him as much as we have. He's a brilliant writer uh, and just an all around stellar human being. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys stay safe, stay well, check out RJ's book. Yes. And we will chat with you next time. Bye. Bye.